my name's Tori and I wish I knew more about blood products. Hi, my name's Letitia. I wish I knew more about taking care of myself when starting shift work. Hi, my name is Lydia. I wish I would know more about how to work as in a team and solve conflict. Hello, welcome to Five Things, the nursing podcast from the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. My name is Liz Crow. I'm Jesse Spur, and this is a podcast by, for, and with the amazing nurses and health professionals in our corner of the world. We hope to connect with the global community as we move from surviving to thriving. Welcome to Five Things. Hello, my name is Liz Crow. And I'm Jesse Spur. And welcome to another episode of Five Things. Today, we're going to be talking about bowel prep, specifically for people who are having bowel preparation in the hospital. And we're welcoming Anna McMahon, who is a familial bowel cancer nurse in the gastroenterology unit here at the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. Welcome, Anna. Hello. Thank you very much. Awesome to have you here, Anna. Uh, Also really impressed. You got specifically and familial out in the intro without a hiccup. That was beautiful. I know. It's very early on a Friday morning. I'm giving myself a wrap for that. (laughs) Before we dive into the topic, Anna, I would love to hear a little bit about your nursing journey. And um, I'm assuming uh, being a familial bowel cancer nurse sitting here talking about bowel prep wasn't what you were sitting around the chute table at uni going, I'm going to do that. Absolutely not. Um, So my nursing journey started off, uh, I guess I would say, when I was in primary school, I had a strong desire to want to become a nurse at at around the age 11. Um, And I'm old enough now that when you go through high school, um, you filled out a QTAC application, decided I'd change it and wouldn't do nursing and was going to be a history teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, That lasted about six months. And then I finally made my way back to nursing and studied through QUT. Um, I used to come past on the bus at the Royal Brisbane and look up at the helipad and thought, yep, going to be up there, going to be receiving patients, you know, going to be in the thick of it. But um, no, I don't think I've ever been up there. So um, <laughs> funny things happen. Um, so I started off my new grad year uh, at the Royal Brisbane and it was working in a very busy general surgical ward um, with a big focus on upper GI surgery, hepatobiliary. Um, we had some trauma cases. Um, there was a flavour of gastroenterology and sort of medical liver um, things as well. So it was a really good place to start my nursing journey off, very busy um, and a great, a great team to kick off. Um, from there, I sort of went into more of a specialty gastroenterology role, which started off as inflammatory bowel disease nurse. Um, and so for those of you who don't know, inflammatory bowel disease are conditions called Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis that affect the gastrointestinal tract. Um, From there, I bounced around and did a few other things. So I worked in outpatients for a while in gastroenterology, worked in the private sector for a little bit, came back and worked on another surgical ward, which was completely different to gastro, but then I always seemed to find my way back. Um, So most recently, um, I've been working in a familial bowel cancer role, which is relatively new here at the hospital. They're even more sort of specific um, conditions that are genetic conditions that affect uh, patients and predispose them to developing gastrointestinal cancers and also extraintestinal cancers. So we sort of manage their conditions through surveillance, making sure that they're on top of things um, from that perspective um, and managing any clinical issues that come up. Um, So what sort of led me to come right here is um, I'm also studying a Bachelor of Clinical Redesign through the University of Tasmania. 
And what that does is essentially looks at clinical issues and we do a big diagnostic process and look at solutions without sort of throwing a lot of money at things um, to, to see how we can tweak things and improve things. And one of the things that I looked at last year as part of that program was this concept of inpatient bowel preparation. Um, and bowel preparation for inpatients is not, um, not done particularly well anywhere, so it's a worldwide sort of phenomenon. Um, but it was something that our unit wanted to look at and wanted to look at improving. So I put in an RBWH Foundation grant, which was funded as well, um, to look at this issue and the patient experience of bowel prep. Um, and so that's sort of what we're doing now. So interesting. All right, so let's get straight into it. Your number one point that you want to make is what is bowel prep and why is it so important? So I think um, when you're talking about bowel prep, it's important to to recognise why we do it. And um, my discussion today is to talk about colonoscopy. So what is a colonoscopy? Um, it's the gold standard investigation for patients with suspected abnormalities of the colon. So that's your large bowel. Um, and so a colonoscope is what we use. It's a flexible tube with a camera and a light. We go in through the anus, have a look at the rectum and the large bowel. Um, and as I said, there's a light and camera attached. That camera can project um, images onto a screen so that the doctors can visualise. Um, I say doctors, I mean endoscopists because we have nurse endoscopists elsewhere um, that can look at the inner lining of the bowel and detect any abnormalities and then manage them from there. So when we talk about bowel preparation, um, we're clearing the colon so that we can allow that visualisation. Um, so bowel preparation facilitates the removal of any faecal material from the colon. So that's stool or poo. Yep. Um, so we're getting rid of that so that we can look at that really clearly, that inner lining. So I'm going to ask all the dumb questions today. So bowel, in your bowel, poo can just sit there, can't it? I think lots of people think that the bowel just, you know, you do a poo and your bowel is empty, but that's not actually correct, is it? No, that's right. So um, people can have, I guess everyone's different and people can have different conditions that affect how much the, um, or how quickly things move through the bowel. So people can have delayed like colonic transit, that type of thing. Um, and everyone's a little bit different. Everyone's bowel habits a little bit different as well. And so the brow prep is about cleaning that out so that when the scope goes down, it's not wedging through lots of poo. It's just got a, a clear passage. That's a great way to describe it. And um, I think I mentioned before we started off, my husband's a plumber and we often talk about analogies and pipe analogy and it's a really good one. So they use something very similar to a colonoscope to assess pipes. And I was saying, well, look, I've got to do this podcast. What's a good way to describe it? And he said, well, you know, if we're checking a pipe for a pipe that's broken, we need to clear it out first to have a look at it. And I thought that's a really good way to remember, remember it. You've got a broken pipe, you, need to, you know, to, need to have a look at it. And if there's mud or there's poo, you're not going to be able to see it. Yeah. yeah I imagine his worst days that's dealing with pipes that have poo in it where it's every day. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So number two, what constitutes good adequate bowel preparation? So I've I've never had a colonoscopy. I, I think mm. that's okay. I don't think I have to have had one. Still time. <laughs> but, you know, I've had lots of friends having them recently and they say, you know, you've got to take all this gunk and then you, you've, you've got to 
poo and poo and poo. So what ha- what is uh, what constitutes good bowel prep? Yeah, so um, good bowel prep is bowel preparation where the return comes back and it's clear. So um, that is essentially what we try and describe to patients and other clinicians is like urine. So looking like urine, nice and clear, no no sort of chunks or particles or particulate matter in, in that, um, and that's that's really important. So that's what we're aiming for. I think I'll preface that by saying that in some instances, there will be patients, despite everyone's best efforts, that just simply cannot um, get through bowel preparation and get to that point, at which time that's very much a clinical decision where we would be looking at the indication for the colonoscopy and whether it's safe to proceed with that or whether or not there's something else that we can do. Is there some other sort of um, thing that we can add in to optimise that prep? Um, but for the most part, people will be able to get to that point. But it's really important to recognise that, you know, if someone's particularly unwell and it's not happening, team decision, let's work out what, where we're going to go with that. So you should be pooing clear liquid. I, I remember someone used to always say when, you know, if you had diarrhoea, you could poo through the eye of a needle. And uh, that's what you're describing, isn't it? Like good bowel prep is whatever's going through, should be able to go through the eye of a needle. Yeah, that's that's pr- pretty much right. That's a that's a good way to describe it. Um, I think for us as nurses, it's really important that we're actually checking that. So for our inpatients, making sure that you have looked at that and that's what you're seeing is um, a critical part of your job in looking after a patient undergoing prep. So can I ask what what are people drinking? Because you know people will say to me, "Oh, it's gross," and you you can't eat anything solid is that right for like 24 hours or something yeah so it's um it's a process and I'm really glad that you raised that Liz because um it's it's so important to recognize that it's not just something that happens on the day of the procedure or even the day before in some cases we have patients who are starting alterations in diet or medications a couple of weeks before um so for an example if we have a patient who's had um, particularly difficult prep in the past and needed a large volume prep for whatever reason, they might start on like an adjunct such as Movicol to help in that two-week lead up. That's an example. So Movicol is a laxative? Yeah, yeah. Movicol is a laxative agent um, and that just helps to soften, soften the stool and then aids when we actually come down to drinking the preparation. So then we look at the different alterations in medications that we need. So things like iron supplements need to be stopped because they can affect the visualisation of the bowel. Um, herbal supplements, fish oil, krill oil, those sorts of things need to be stopped around a week or so out. Um, so that sort of medication side, we might need to look at anticoagulation changes and things like that, depending on the patient. That will be very specific to certain indications, but something for us to be aware of diabetic medications, those sorts of things. Um, So then we talk about diet. So um, patients go on to what we call a low fibre or a low residue diet um, in the days leading up to the procedure. And again, that can vary depending on the patient. Um, So when I talk about low residue, that's avoiding things like seeds, nuts, um, fruit and vegetable uh, skins and there's a list most places will have a list of what you can eat and what you can't eat so um, that's really important too 
Then we sort of move on to our uh, clear fluid phase. So um, clear fluids are things that are see-through um, and we're really um, concerned about colour as well, so the colour of the clear fluids. Um, so avoiding purple, blue, red, because that can actually stain the bowel, um, avoiding things with milk in it. And then we kind of come on to our what we actually have for our bowel preparation. And look, there are a vast number of bowel preparations and in particular if this sort of goes internationally, you know, there's things I'm sure I've not heard of. Um, so I won't go into the specifics of that. But as long as you know that this is a process and it's not just something that starts the day or the day before, there's a lead up to it to really optimise it and make sure that it's um, done well. And so I guess it depends what the bowel investigation is for as to what the prep might be. Well, not necessarily the, the um, indication for the procedure, but certainly the patient's individual factors. Right. So um, things like their past prep experience, comorbidities, um, making sure that we're really individualising the prep regime and what they have for the patient. So we've got some um, Australian standards that came out a few years ago specifically around this issue. So making sure that patients prep um, prescription is individualised to their needs and they're, you know, um, making sure that it's safe for them. So that's a really important part. So selection of PrEP is very, very important too. So if I'm a bedside nurse and I know my patient who's got some comorbidities is going for a colonoscopy on Thursday, you know, come Saturday, Sunday, I need to be looking at their diet, I need to be looking at what the prep says and I need to be making sure that they're getting appropriate meals, appropriate fluids, uh, maybe weaning or changing of medications in the days leading up to that so that we don't get two days out from a, a booked procedure and say, uh-oh, we didn't do this and so now we have to cancel and make other arrangements. Yep. And I guess um, that's in an, in an ideal world. But yeah, absolutely. Looking at and considering all of those things is so important. Um, unfortunately, one of the issues that we have within patients is there is a bit more of a quick turnaround time. So if we've got patients who come in, I guess there's sort of two streams and the best way to describe this. If we have patients who come in um, who are pre-planned admissions, so they might be patients who our team have triaged a referral and have recognised that the patient has comorbidities or reasons that they may need to safely come into hospital to do their prep. Um, we can look at look at those and um, a lot of their workup will be done prior to them coming in, so that's a little bit different. For patients who are acute admissions, so those are patients who have come in they're under a treating team. We weren't aware that we were going to do a colonoscopy. We don't necessarily have the luxury of putting all of those measures into place. But I think what is really important is if you can remember that patients generally need to have dietary changes. They all need to have fluid changes in the day before. They may need medication alterations and we need to make sure that their prep is adequate. We're on the right track. I think that leads us beautifully into your third point about why bowel prep timing is so critical. Yeah, so this is a really interesting one. And I think from looking at the diagnostic sort of side of things from our um, inpatient prep audit here at the Royal, and then also looking at the literature, there's a few really key things that come through that I think 
we can all have a bit more awareness of. It certainly um, opened my eyes up a little bit. So the first thing we talk about when we talk about timing is um, all of those different constituents of the the process that I was talking about. So that's diet, fluids, and the the timing of bowel preparation. Um, It's important to note most places will have their lists sort of split into um, a couple of things across the day. So we talk about AM lists and PM lists. So if you're if you know your patient's having a colonoscopy, make sure you know what list they're on because that will alter when they need to have their prep. Um, patients have sedation for colonoscopies, um, definitely in our facility and in, in most. I can't speak around the world, but um, that's another consideration too. So fasting, to, fasting time to anaesthetic. Um, the other thing that we look at to is this concept of um, a split bowel preparation regime. So back in the day when I was a baby nurse, we used to give all of the prep the night before a procedure. Um, but what studies have demonstrated is actually um, it's beneficial to do what we call a, a split prep. So we give some of the prep um, the night before the procedure and some of the prep on the day before the procedure. And that's sort of in a standard case. If we've got someone who needs a much larger volume of prep, we might do that over over a couple of days, but still that split split prep concept will be very important that they need to have some on the day of the procedure. There's some research coming out now as well that suggests that, um, say for example, in the case of an afternoon list, we could potentially give all of the prep on the morning of the morning of a procedure. We haven't done that for our inpatients um, here as yet. It's uh, emerging, but um, difficult with in terms of bed the bed situation and things like that. So there's a few factors that go on there. So that's sort of one of the other um, aspects of timing that we talk about. And then I mentioned this concept of split prep and that sort of flows into the next um, step, which is the timing of the last litre of bowel preparation to the timing of the procedure. So again, there's a number of studies that have demonstrated the longer that time is, so the longer the time from the patient finishing the bowel prep to when they go on to have their procedure, the the bowel preparation will deteriorate. So after about, I think it's about four hours, for every hour we delay after that, the prep quality decreases by about 10%. So if you've got an inpatient who's already compromised and then we're sort of delaying that procedure again, that can also impact upon the prep. So I guess timing's a really, just a really important um, thing to consider. And The instructions that you'll be provided from your unit, your gastroenterology unit, should clearly outline all of these things, but it's really just important to be mindful, mindful of that in terms of the patient flow, in terms of their experience. And again, I go back to that term of process, where they're up to in that process. Yeah. Should the bowel prep quality deteriorates, I think from memory it was about 10% per hour effectively after the four-hour period of completion of the prep regime kind of makes sense at face value but I'm guessing there's a reason why yeah that's right and that's a good point so I think one of the studies um that that I mentioned before it was deteriorating by about 10 percent every hour um from having sort of good or excellent prep and you know think oh what's this nutter talking about um the bowel's clear um and what actually happens the, the bowel is still producing fluid, so um, bile is still being produced, um, intestinal fluids are still being produced, and that can then sort of seep into the right-hand side of the colon. So that's where we see that deterioration. 
And it can be quite a thick sort of um, difficult sort of fluid to remove. Like a mucusy sort of consistency. Yeah, that's um, – I saw one paper it described as tenacious. Yeah. So <laughs> if that gives you some idea um, in that side. And so washing can be difficult as well. So, um, you know, obviously we'll try and lavage that solution in the, um, in the procedure, but that might be difficult too. And what about timing of medication? Um, how does that fit with the timing of procedure? Yeah, so um, timing of medication's an important one because if you, if we think about what the prep is doing, we're purging basically the gastrointestinal tract of of stool. So um, if we're administering prep medications, we can potentially impact upon the absorption of medications. So I was talking to one of our, my senior colleagues upstairs today just about the recommendations in terms of medications. And we say 90 minutes before starting prep or 90 minutes after prep to, to optimise that absorption. So in your nursing care planning for a patient, if you are aware of that, you'll be able to tailor um, tailor things accordingly. Um she also mentioned too, sometimes there's issues if patients have not been given um, medications like um, blood pressure medications and that sort of thing, for example, because um, that will impact upon their procedure. So make sure that you do have a plan for giving them. And if you're not sure, you know, just ask someone. Um, they'll be more than happy to answer a question around that so that the patient's procedure will go ahead rather than compromising it. Um, we also, from that timing perspective, thinking about um, diabetic medications and that sort of thing, diabetes is a big um, a big thing that we consider. Again, just making sure that you've got a plan. You know, patients been undergoing dietary alterations potentially for several days leading up to the procedure um, and then fasting times, clear fluids. So things are changing, making sure that you're, you know, without going into all the specifics of diabetic medication, just have an awareness of it and make sure you've got a plan. Yeah, terrific. So your number four is like, how do we best support and care for the patient who's getting ready for a procedure? I imagine this is huge. Like, this is a massive overshare, but I literally can't poo even in my own home unless everybody is away from me and asleep. I cannot imagine what, how, it would, literally it would be a trauma for me to have diarrhea in a hospital and be getting up and down to a toilet like, are you also farting more? Like, I look at you, my face. You're, I'm you're literally... lucky. You're lucky if you're getting up and down to a toilet because a lot of the people that are having bowel prep in hospital are because they have high comorbidities. So sometimes this is getting up and down to a commode, and curtains don't really hide the smell or the sound. I'm literally in tears. Like, I just cannot imagine how stressful this must be and how embarrassing. So how? How do we best support people yeah. when they're having this bowel prep, um, you know, and they're probably sick as well as that? What What are some really good tips for our bedside nurses? Yeah, I think um, you raise both raise such important points, and I can't um, I can't emphasise this enough. It is a harrowing experience for patients um, to go through to do bowel preparation at home, let alone in hospital. Um, and so I think that, you know, having an awareness of that and putting yourself in the patient's shoes, think about what, how, you know, how can I make this experience better? How, what would, what would make it better for me? And talk to your patient um, about, you know, what would make it better for them? So I think um, it's, it's difficult 
because we're um, restricted by the environment that we're in. So a lot of patients are admitted to, say, a four-bedded bay. But what, what sort of things can you do to improve privacy, for example? Um, you know, it might be that you do have availability of a single room. Advocate for your patient um, if, you know, if that's something that is doable. I, that's an ideal world, I know. But, you know, those sorts of things may really improve their experience. Um, things like, you know, keeping them, keeping them warm, um, explaining why we're, doing, why we're doing bowel preparation, why it's so important. Look, if you can just get through this you know, we'll, we'll optimise your procedure and, um, you know, be, you'll be in the best, the best possible place. Um, I think really uh, I like nurses to think about education and their role of education. I think, I think sometimes we go, oh, yep, we're just organising a colonoscopy. What does that mean for the patient? That means that the patient's going to have diarrhoea and they may not necessarily have been told or completely appreciate what that bowel prep's going to do for the patient. So if you can give them some heads up, I think that's wonderful and that's a really key nursing role. Um, Other sort of like little tips and tricks, you think about what the bowel preparation is doing again. So, um, you know, it's causing diarrhoea, you know, heat packs, are they nauseous? Do they have you know, medications that can be sort of charted or um, considered from that perspective. Um, Going to the toilet a lot can cause you to have sort of some perianal discomfort. You know, can we get a cream or something like that? If you can appreciate how difficult it is for a patient, then you can understand the importance of getting that process right and optimising it. How awful for a patient to go through all of that inpatient prep and we've we've done something that's not correct, that's compromised their prep and they have to come back in and do it again. Um, yeah, we want to avoid that at all costs. Like that's awful and terrible for the patient, but then there's implications for the um, organisation and for the units as well. All round, not a good situation. I started as a new grad in oncology before going into pretty much a career in intensive care and critical care. Um, one of the things we'd, we'd occasionally get patients coming in um, in for inpatient bowel prep prior to uh, colonoscopy, um, we'd say, can you get your family to bring in some nice toilet paper for you? Because hospital toilet paper is oh, as cheap point. as it can possibly be. Um, and it's not even sandpaper. It's like more you're at more risk of putting your finger through oh, it than, no. than anything. But in terms of that perianal excoriation, yeah. like you're wiping pretty much constantly for hours. Um, so some good quality toilet paper is just one of those things that might not be thought of. And if the family can bring it in, it can really improve the experience. Yeah, definitely. And I think on that point too, it's like uh, – you know, talking about clear fluids, for example, what we might not have everything that the patient likes to drink, but the family can bring that in. So, really involving the family, if that's if that's possible, you know, that's not always not always um, um, a possibility for patients. But that that's when we we step in and we can really come to the fore as well. What what can we do um, in the constraints of the organisation to to improve this for patients? I know this is ridiculous, but I'm sitting here thinking if it was me, because I would li- I would really struggle to do this, I'd probably put on headphones so that I couldn't hear my own noise. Do you know what I mean? Like just trying to stay in a good place. I, I love that you'd put on headphones rather than give- getting the other people to put on headphones. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> Pretend our- it's not happening. Yeah, just go to a good place. Our poor patients. 
Look, some really valid things to think of and hopefully, you know, some of our patients will also listen to this podcast um, and, and come in, you know, prepared. Our number five um, point that you've given us today is how do you hand over for the procedure? So I'm bringing my patient down uh, to the procedural area for the colonoscopy. What sort of things do I need to hand over? Yeah, so um, generally speaking, and I can't speak for all units, but our unit will normally do a call to the wards uh, before the patient comes over and ask a few really key questions. And I think, you know, when I was a new grad, I used to love taking patients down and going, yes, I nailed that, like the checklist, everything's done. I've nailed that handover. Um, so I hope you do that with gastro. Um, so be prepared. So some of the th- the key things that we're really interested in from a gastro perspective are um, the t- last time the patient has had something to eat, so that's solid food, and then had something to drink. So the drink might be the prep or it might be, you know, the clear fluids. We're also really interested in how much prep the patient has had um, because in some cases we might get a patient who they've said, oh, look, they've had a litre and, and they're clear and we'd be thinking that seems very unlikely. Um, it, it, you That's know. really nice. You're thinking, cool story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're thinking, oh, yeah, you know, generally they need more, would need more volume than that. So that's sort of something that we're interested in. Um, are patients diabetic? What's been happening with their diabetes management? Um, are they on any anticoagulants? Um, we also think about contract precautions, falls, risk, mobility status, things that you would hand over to any other unit are really important there. Um, and the QAD score. So I think to kind of understand um, the perspective of gastro, they're trying to coordinate lists. They have got a range of people that they need to communicate with. They need to communicate with the anaesthetist to talk about um, sedation, fasting time, comorbidities. They've got the proceduralist too who's interested in what's their prep like. Um, do we need to do anything differently for this particular patient to optimise their prep on the day of the procedure? So it's very much a coordination. So if you've got that story and you can um, nail that handover to the, you know, you'll be you will be putting your patient in a really good position too. When you get to the procedural unit, that those will be the same sort of questions. Um, and just refer to your local area. They've likely got a check checklist, and it may be specific to to gastroenterology going through those prep questions. And then one of the most important things that we ask is, is the patient clear? And I've talked about what clear means. um, And it's really important that you've actually visualised that um, yourself and can confidently say, yes, that patient is clear. I checked it at this time and it was was clear. A little tip from that point of view is um, you can put a little bedpan in the toilet to actually capture that and, and look at it. Um, so I know that's, you know, I remember when my father-in-law had a colonoscopy and he's like, oh, we had about five nurses came in and had a look at my, you know, you know what. And I was like, it's very important that they did. So, yeah. And if you're really keen to dive in and go back in time in our podcast series, number f- episode number four with um, Shania Trebell was uh, on clinical handover and I think a perfect way of organising all the stuff that we just talked about. Yeah, terrific. So, Anna, when we're talking about supporting our patients, I believe some of the prep is quite foul to consume. Uh, Is there anything you can do to help patients who are really struggling to drink it? 
Yeah, so there's a few little tips and tricks and um, one of the most important ones is, is getting the patient a straw. So that can help disguise the taste. Um, giving them a little bit of a, a plan to work to. So um, generally, if it's a sort of standard prep that we give, I'll use that as, as an example, um, we try and do one litre each hour. Um, so if you if you look at breaking that down into sort of 15-minute uh, segments, so look, it's one glass every 15 minutes, that's easier psychologically to go, yeah, look, I can, I can do that rather than, oh, I've got to consume this entire jug. Um, so that's one of the things that help. I mentioned before about that split prep um, timing, so doing some the day before and some of. That's um, that's been shown to help intolerability and that kind of thing too. So that's so that's important. Um, getting up and sort of walking around as much as possible. So if people are feeling a little bit nauseous, that can aid the prep, but also just helps with um, reducing nausea as well. Um, as I mentioned before, having clear fluids and things like that that the patients want to drink and that are tolerable to them. So having a range of um, those available to the patients, you know, to have on top of the prep. So it's not just a matter of drinking the prep. It's we want patients to be having hydration um, through them too. Um, sucking on sort of like barley sugars or peppermints to, you know, in between drinks can disguise the taste too and this t- you know, stopping for a period of time if you need to and then sort of re, you know, restarting it. Um, so there's some of the things. From when I started um, nursing to now, like there's been a huge sort of change and an emphasis on trying to make bowel preparation more tolerable because it's such an important part. Patients consuming their entire regime of prep is such an important part of getting a good um, prep outcome. Can I ask, I remember earlier in the podcast, you said avoid red, blue, green. So I'm guessing when you're thinking about cordial, don't make it red, blue or green cordial. 100%. Go for yellow or... Yeah, yellow, I think we say yellow, um, uh, orange, cordial, yeah, those sort of colours is fine. Red, purple, blue can can stain, yeah. I'm going to pick up on something that you said just then, which has um, been bubbling away in the back of my mind as well, as you're saying, making sure people stay hydrated again, because there's this illusion that I'm drinking like litres of fluid, but we don't count that as an input on the fluid balance chart if we're maintaining a fluid balance chart with these patients, do we? Because it's all intended to come out. So it's a neutral fluid balance and therefore they're getting dehydrated if that's the only fluids they're having. Yeah, that's a really um, a really good point. So hydration is one of these things, again, in the process that's sometimes overlooked because there's this, you're right, patients drinking heaps, they're drinking jugs of fluid, but that's designed to go through the gastrointestinal tract um, and that's its job to, to clear that out. So making sure that patients have adequate hydration and that you're um, – you're monitoring that too. You're making sure that they're having that fluid on top of it. Um, and if they're struggling, you know, look at their fluid balance, get some assistance, you know, do they need some support from that um, from that perspective? Um, yeah, that's a very, very good point. Yeah, and it's, a, it's really important. If, if someone's unwell enough to be in hospital and requiring bowel prep, um, we really need to be starting fluid balance charts on those patients and being quite diligent with it, don't we? Yeah, that's right. There's, I think there's um, sometimes a bit of a misconception that, look, uh, patients can do their prep at home. So, you know, um, prep's a safe thing. And look, you know, it, for the most part it is. But if you've got a population of patients who are a little bit more compromised, then that really needs to start our thinking on 
what is the bowel prep doing? What are the potential in- implications in the context of why my patient's in hospital? So, Anna, some of those special patient populations or that those more vulnerable groups, there's kind of a cluster of things that you wanted to talk about in there um, from types of solution and some of the risks and I guess then some of the mitigating strategies um, that you as a service would do. That's right. So I guess a good point to start with is just looking at some of the contraindications to having bowel preparation. Um, so some of the some of the key things that are that um, oral preparation shouldn't be used in patients that have, for example, um, a gastrointestinal obstruction or perforation, ileus or any sort of gastric retention. Um, we would avoid it in patients with severe acute inflammatory bowel disease or toxic megacolon. Um, reduce levels of consciousness, obviously hypersensitivity to ingredients or adverse um, you know, allergies and that kind of thing. Um, and then patients with ileostomy as well. Um, we would consider patients who have difficulty swallowing and might aspirate. Obviously, they're, they're a group that we would need to carefully manage and perhaps a nasogastric tube um, might be inserted in that group, but that would obviously be case dependent. Um, so I guess in all of that, for all of those contraindications and for all indications for colonoscopy, um, we're looking at risk versus benefit in all of those situations, which we should be doing for any procedure. Um, so in terms of the bowel preparation that RBWH uses for inpatients, um, n- nurses who are working in this hospital will, will mostly see um, what we call polyethylene glycols or PEG or macrogol solutions. And essentially, they're chosen for their safety profile. So we've touched on it earlier in the podcast um, that, you know, they're essentially neutral solutions. So they're what we class as osmotic laxatives. So they're not absorbed and they're isoosmotic. So they pass through the bowel without having a large degree of absorption or secretion. Um, so those sort of big shifts in fluid and electrolytes are generally avoided. However, in saying that, there are at-risk at groups where we would still monitor them, even though we're really carefully selecting an appropriate choice of bowel preparation, bowel preparation agent, we still need to monitor groups of patients. So the ones that are really um, highlighted in the literature and obviously that we see um, here as well are patients who might have heart failure, uh, renal insufficiency, dialysis, end-stage liver disease or electrolyte imbalances. And there are a number of conditions that come under each of those things. Um, So frail and elderly patients are another group um, that we really monitor closely to. Um, And so in elderly patients or older patients, obviously they're more likely to have those comorbidities that I've spoken about earlier, um, but might be on multiple medications all of which can exacerbate certain side effects of PrEP. Um, And then also frail elderly patients may have less of a reserve to then deal with subsequent issues from bowel PrEP. Um, So I guess they're sort of some of the the, the, um, key kind of electrolyte fluid balancey type group. Um, But there are obviously patients who might have had previous intolerances to PrEP or difficulties with PrEP at home. Um, They might have had uh, previous upper GI surgery or have difficulty tolerating large volumes of fluid. So we might consider bringing those patients in so that we can, again, monitor them and and keep them safe during their prep. Um, Other conditions, one that was uh, sort of recently came to mind is a patient who had brittle diabetes. So obviously we're altering diet 
fluid intake and there's fasting, so supporting that um, medical condition and providing appropriate management while they did their prep. And there's, you know, a vast number of conditions that might kind of fall into that. That's just one of the examples. Um, one of the other kind of key groups is patients who might have compromised mobility or might um, be at risk of falls. Obviously, the patients might ha be having faecal urgency from diarrhoea, and so that is a, um, a big consideration um, in terms of prepping and keeping people safe. Um, so the other thing I think about too is patients who might have had previous colorectal surgery. So I've spoken about um, ileostomy, and bowel preparation should not be given to patients who have an ileostomy, um, but you might come across a patient who has a colostomy, um, which means that they have some large bowel left. And um, sometimes it's fairly straightforward as to what bowel preparation agent they might need. But even us as um, a gastroenterology nursing service, we'll kind of knock on our colorectal colleagues' doors and say, actually, what's the extent of this patient's bowel and what is the most appropriate regime for them? Um, and they're obviously more than happy to assist with that. So if you're not sure, you know, ask. That's, um, that's always something that you can do. I guess um, that list is, of course, you know, it's not exhaustive, but essentially it's supporting patients with potentially other medical problems whilst they're doing their prep. And I think that's yeah, yeah. the important thing to remember. I guess I kind of picked up on essentially globally frailty, conditions that have um, significant distortion to metabolic processes and fluid balance processes and then altered anatomy through um, surg previous surgical intervention. Yeah. So to, if I was trying to just crudely clump those into three main red flag groups. Yeah, I yeah. think that's fine. I think that's that's really good. Um, obviously, you're going to have patients who, you know, might not be able to follow instructions and that kind of compromises their safety as well. Um, when we um, think about, you know, inpatients, a, a lot of what we're doing too is like diagnostic colonoscopy. So that might be for like GI bleeding or investigation of diarrhea. And so there might be some underlying processes going on, such as hypervolemia, um, electrolyte imbalance from that perspective as well. So it's just, it's just being cognizant of those things and then thinking about how then you can best support and keep your patients safe. All right, Anna. So I have got the unenviable uh, job of trying to summarise everything that you've just told us. I, like, I think this is a really good podcast and hopefully one that people also direct their patients to. So your number one point is what is bowel prep and why is it so important? So we specifically were looking at bowel prep for colonoscopy and colonoscopy is the gold standard investigation where essentially we're going to put a little camera into the anus or your bottom and we're gonna, we need to have a good look around. And the only way we can do that if, is the bowel doesn't have a whole lot of poo in there and it's clear. So the purpose of the bowel prep is to make sure that that large bowel is clear so that the camera can come through. Um, and that's very important. Number two is what constitutes adequate bowel preparation. So I'm going to stick with, you've got to be doing clear poo. It's got to look like urine. Whatever's coming out of your bottom, it's got to look like urine before you go in for that colonoscopy. So I think you should be able to poo through the eye of a needle. And uh, maybe as a nurse, it's very important that we eyeball that, that clear poo. And so think about putting a bedpan in so that you can go and just double check because what can feel clear to a patient may not in actual fact be clear. And I'm going to pick up on the point you just made before is that, you know, we've got to think about um, what, what patients are having is not fluids, it's not hydration, 
that is fluid that they're intending on losing so it becomes neutral. So within that adequate bowel prep, we still have to be making sure that our patients have hydration and have clear fluids. And if we can't provide what they like, maybe their family can bring it in, but watch colours. So it's red, blue, purple are the main colours to avoid because they can stain the bowel and, and make, you know, make everyone a bit confused about what they're seeing. Number three is that bowel prep timing is really critical. And so what that means is that we've got to be mindful of, you know, when was the last time they ate, when were, what medications do we have to give at the same time, you know, do they have diabetes, are there other things that we need to be um, considering. But I think the thing that you really tried to drum home to us is that from the last litre of fluid that the person had for every extra hour, it we lose 10% of the quality of what we're going to see. Is that correct? So um, we really need to be making sure that they're getting prep and then they're having the procedure within a time that it's going to be successful because nobody wants to go through all of this and then find, uh-oh, we have to do it again. And number four point is how do we best support? And I did an overshare and just said, I find pooing hard on a, on a daily basis. So I cannot imagine being in a four-bed bay with diarrhea, potentially farting or fluffing away, a gurgly tummy, which is called borborygmy. No, borborygmy? Borborygmy, yeah. Um, <laughs> just wanted to show that I do have some like little medical terms every now and then. Um, so we've got to think about the embarrassment for people and the privacy issues. Is it possible to get them a single bed? If not, you know, can we put them in the bed nearest to the toilet? Um, that we need to be thinking about our patients who are vulnerable in particular, and I want to pick up on frailty and falls, people who get an urgency to poo if they're unsteady on their feet. You know, we need to be more aware of that, but people who are on hemodialysis, people who have got diabetes, um, we need to be considering the whole patient um, and how this impacts. And I love that Jesse said maybe they want to bring in some nice toilet paper from home and maybe they'll need some clear, uh, some cream on their bottoms as well because they'll be pooing a lot and might have a very sore bottom. All right, our number five was how, we, how do we hand over to the procedural area? And I think, you know, the important thing you said here is to make absolute sure that they're clearing, their poo is clear. Sorry. We need to make absolutely sure that they are pooing clear and that we've actually seen that with our own eyes, that we need to hand over um, any comorbidities or concerns or our normal scores um, and that, you know, anything else that could be important to the team that we're handing over. How did I go? Yep. It, it wasn't poo. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. All right, Anna, that has been fantastic. We want to thank you for coming in and joining us on Five Things today. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you.